welcome to Globally Speaking, a podcast about connecting with global audiences. Globally Speaking is designed to explore the challenges involved in breaking down language and communication barriers. Our hosts and guests, thought leaders and industry experts, discuss their experiences on a range of topics relating to content, communication, and customer engagement. Welcome to today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the Go Global series of the Globally Speaking podcast. My name's Jordan Cockrell. I'm an operations manager at RWS, and I'll be your host for this one. My day-to-day role is helping customers to go global. And in this episode, I'm going to be speaking about my day-to-day role in more detail, as I predominantly work with customers who are looking to resolve specific challenges with their localization program, or customers who are brand new to localization. I often find that the people I work with are not directly responsible for localization. That is to say, it's not their day job. With that, I would like to introduce you to my next guest, Renee, who knows all too well how challenging that can be. Hi, Renee, and welcome. Hi, Jordan. Thank you. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. As you said, getting into translation and localization was not my day job. I went into advertising at the beginning of my career because it looked like fun, and it turns out it is a lot of fun. And I worked as a copywriter in a small agency and then uh, as an account exec in a large national agency. And then uh, after that, I went freelance and built my own agency uh, over the course of a long time. And uh, eventually found my way into an in-house role at Under Armour as their global copy director. And I did that for six years, then left uh, on a sabbatical to pursue a passion project of mine, uh, started a nonprofit and such. But back to your not my day job point, it was not my day job at Under Armour. It was um, something that needed addressing. And I felt that at the moment I was in the best position to step in and help address it. So I learned a lot. That's great. Thank you for introducing yourself. Obviously, you mentioned your career wasn't originally geared towards localization industry, but then you had to take the lead on the processes um, for the content created, obviously, in order to harmonize processes internally. Could you tell us a bit more about what we could qualify of the operational side of the localization industry and what you learned from your experience? I sure can. I would say buckle up for this one. So, I learned a lot on the brand side in terms of getting what it takes to get a basic operational foundation set up and getting everyone who is involved onto the same page, following the same process, on the same platform. And when you're starting from a place of everybody doing something uniquely different in any given part of corner of the company, that's no small task to get all the fish swimming in the same direction. I had to really sell that idea to everyone and sell the outcome and the benefits of the outcome in order for people to willingly buy in and shift their processes over to the centralized process. So I basically launched what I would call an internal marketing campaign to make this happen. I sort of became a one-woman propaganda machine And I was dedicated to winning hearts and minds uh, over uh, a centralized translation localization program. And at the time, we were calling it a global content operating model. That's what I was calling it. I was telling everybody about it. And uh, I I built a a deck, walked it around again and again and, and again, and would tell anybody who would listen, this is how important this is to the brand, to the voice, to the company. And over time, people either they just got tired of listening to me and they said, okay, fine, we'll do it your way. Or, uh, or they, they really bought in. And ultimately, uh, we ended up 
being able to change our program substantially into a, a fully centralized one that created immense efficiencies, um, if both financial and in quality of work and productivity and time. So all win, 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 win across the board. It was just something that I think uh, needed a, a cheerleader and uh, someone to wrangle all the details. That's brilliant. And thanks for sharing the, the story. What do you think would be important for someone starting a program to take into consideration right at the start? What advice could you give somebody who's looking to do a similar thing to yourself? Well, of course, it starts with a great partner, which RWS uh, certainly was for me and for the company. Um, everything they did to help me plan that the work of what I was about to do and together with me then relentlessly work that plan. It was uh, an absolute marathon, not any kind of short-term investment in anyone's time and energy. So really, it took quite some time. And I had a great partner throughout. And I could simply would not have been able to do it without that kind of the level of partnership that RWS provided. So I think out of the gate, the first thing is that I would say is, number one, find a great partner. And then it would be a mistake for any company to hire a translation provider without an internal commitment to supporting the infrastructure that you need on the inside to make that relationship successful. So I don't know what it is like on your side, Jordan, when these partnerships are getting set up out of the gate, especially for a company who maybe doesn't have that infrastructure or even one that maybe has something of an in infrastructure. How important is that partnership on your side of the fence? Absolutely. Like I said, I, I think that's the key part. I mean, we help a lot of customers who have never localized before. Obviously, um, that trust is key. We have been doing this for a number of years. Obviously, some of our customers haven't done it before. So we're the experts. Let us hold your hand. Let us guide you. That would be my, my initial advice to anybody who's also got challenges with their current localization program. It's really important that we build that partnership so that we can understand what those challenges and pain points are. You know, I can give advice about how to set up your localization program or how to improve that. But without that information in terms of what's going wrong in the first place, you know, I could be guessing or I could be giving advice based on what other customers do. That might not actually be relevant. So I think making sure that localization isn't an afterthought, making sure that if you don't have a dedicated team, you at least have someone who, like yourself, Renee, is willing to work with us and, and make that work. And use RWS, you know, use your partner, use your expert and let them sort of lead you down the right path. That would be my advice. Yeah, I, I think it's great advice. And I think there is a certain level of transparency in that partnership that one has to have on the client side so that when it gets down to the business of the doing of it all, there's a best practice way to do things. And then there's what's the reality of how can you even get that best practice to fit into the way that your organization is structured or the way that it operates or the, you know, what have you. So there's no black and white answers to how to get this done. It's somewhere in the middle. It gets, you know, it's a, it's a gray area where you have to create the best practices that will work in any given client side situation, because I, I would expect that everybody is a bit unique. Absolutely. And we do, you know, tailor our approach to our customers. So that's something that I'm quite passionate about, obviously making sure that um, we're taking into consideration their ways of working. Um, and, and like you say, there may be some challenges on, on each customer's side internally that we have to sort of work around and get that buy-in from people. 
and and you know i'm used to seeing that but i'm also used to helping our customers resolve that so it's very rewarding when you get to the end of that program and you can take a look and go well we managed to fix that and i think that was your experience it absolutely was and i i I suppose this would this would be the moment to take the, the answer to the next part of the question, which is once you have have that partnership in place and you have that level of commitment and transparency. Beyond that, it becomes on the on the client side of, of things a, a three pronged approach for us to be set up in a way that will enable you to do your jobs effectively. And I can knock out those three things as I experienced them. Again, this wasn't my day job. This I am no expert on the topic of these things, but I do understand the basics of getting this foundation set up. And number one is a clear owner on the client side, as we really just discussed, um, that someone needs to carry the flag and create belief on the inside about how important this is. I think a lot of times people think of translation as a set it and forget it proposition where They'll just send it off to the translation service and it'll magically happen and go into the market and nobody ever has to you know, look at it or anything further. And that is the furthest thing from what should be happening in the process. So having a clear owner who is accountable and who is going to be responsible for setting up and maintaining that process and ensuring that it's working the way it's supposed to work, number one. We could talk more about that in a sec. Number two is a clear view of all your content across the enterprise. And depending on the size of your company, that could be very easy to do. Or in my case, it was extremely difficult to do, extremely hard to find, to have a dashboard view of everything a global company is doing. So the process of collecting and organizing that information so you see what needs to be done and where it's coming from and where it's going to is a project in and of itself. And then lastly, really uh, having a clear game plan for process implementation and organizing it in a way where, in my case, I also wanted to make sure that it was uh, teammate agnostic. Uh, and, and, and by that, I mean, no matter whether it was me or somebody else, that the process was operationalized in the company. And it worked because it was embedded in the company, not because of my participation in it. So I set I did everything I could to set it up with that long-term sustainability in, in mind. Absolutely. It's interesting that, you, you know, you pick out the three main things you need. So what does clear ownership mean to you? Yes. Okay. So the first thing out of the gate, I would say, is understanding what level of executive level leadership support you have. And it's important. It's extremely important. Making sure that there's a buy-in all the way at the top so that you can implement, you know, all the way through uh, all the departments and and people and regions and so on and so forth. And then who are the key stakeholders that need visibility into the program? And uh, in that, in some cases, it's, it's stakeholders who are actively engaged in some level of translation. And in some cases, it's people who aren't, but should have visibility. So they understand what's happening and how important it is. And then is there a translation policy in place? Does everybody throughout the company even know what is supposed to be translated and what doesn't need to be translated and into what languages and who is responsible? So that, and does everybody know who all those people are? Is there a place where everybody can be in touch with everybody else? Uh, as opposed to everyone operating in their own little silo around those matters. And then 
the KPIs, because any program that any company runs obviously needs to be monitored to ensure efficiency, to make sure it's running the way it's supposed to run and that it's doing all the things uh, from the bottom line to the quality of the output. Uh, what are those KPIs and who's owning the, the reporting and the communication around it? So that's my bucket for clear ownership. That's brilliant. And I guess that takes us nicely onto the second point you mentioned. So what does a clear view mean? Yeah, that gets back to what I was saying earlier about having a, a full, I, I use the word dashboard um, or calendar. I think calendar is, is probably more practical term to use to understand what content is getting produced, when is it getting produced, how much is getting produced, you know, where in what parts of the company and having that mapped out is either very easy for you, in which case I, I'm envious, or it can be very hard because that relies on other processes and operational procedures in order to inform you of where the work is and who's submitting it and where is it being submitted. And has in my case, it required a company-wide audit, literally a full audit, uh, making phone calls, having meetings, chasing the information to understand where content was coming from. And then again, setting up that global content calendar would be a critical step two of the process. And what about step three? What does a clear game plan look like? That is back to my that marketing campaign that I initiated first to just get people to buy in and then to the idea and then to get people to buy into the process. It's one thing to say you're you're aligned to a process, but you actually have to do the process in order to really be aligned to the process. So, and in, in my case, it was a, it was, you know, somewhat of a volunteer uh, effort uh, in, in terms of people saying, okay, yeah, let's do it this way. I'm with you. And I, I, I see the benefits. I see how it's going to make my life easier. And so one by one, literally, we were able to get everybody onto the same process. And then it's about reinforcing that process, documenting that process, creating accountability around that process, making sure that it runs as intended. And in my case also, seeing where it isn't running as intended and why, and then going and addressing that and redefining the process. So not a small effort, but definitely a three-pronged approach to, I guess another way to say it would be, it's people, process, and platform. Get your people organized, get everyone, all those people organized around a process, and get them all working on the same platform. And that is the best summary I have to describe what it is like to get something like this set up. And I think a lot of people who will be listening will, you know, can relate to that as well. Um, so thank you for sharing the way you, you managed to do that. It would be interesting to ask you, obviously it was quite a journey for you. How do you feel RWS supported with that? And, and how instrumental were they? They were simply critical to my ability to navigate my way through this, not having come from that industry and not having been terribly exposed to it beyond what what I said earlier, which is uh, you said it and forget it. Of course, I had things translated over the course of my career, but I never understood what's really required to have that done right. And RWS was incredible in terms of providing me with the best practice strategies for how I could tackle things that I put in front of them and said, here's what I'm struggling with right now. Here's what I think I need to do. What are your thoughts? And I 
they were able to give me a lot of recommendations. And then I had to interpolate those into what I knew I could implement realistically on the ground there. And then um, where I needed support, they stepped up and outside of their standard protocols, my account team and um, partners, they really accommodated what might have even been some unique asks. As you said earlier, I know every client for you guys is different and that you tailor your services accordingly. And I can vouch uh, completely for that, that absolutely you tailored uh, your services and your your protocols uh, in some cases around the unique needs that I was presenting so that we could get things set up on our side in a way that would really work in our organization. So I, I can't say enough, honestly, about the partnership with every single one of the the team members on your side that I worked with uh, over over my my time in getting all this set up. That's brilliant. You know, thank you for for sharing the feedback and I'm glad you had obviously such a, a positive experience and that's what we're looking to do for all of our other customers as well. I know I asked you earlier, you know, what would you sort of recommend for someone starting a program taking into consideration, but I'm also interested to know if you've got any advice for businesses who are looking to go global, you know, or enter new markets with multilingual content, if you've got any advice, what would that be? The first thing I would say is brand voice, brand voice, brand voice. So I guess I'll say it three times. It's the reason. It's the most important thing. And why the set it and forget it is such a problem is you have no idea if you do that, that your brand voice is being translated with no no fault of RWS, because that's not how this works. But you have to work with the translator and then understand the someone who is who inside of your company who understands brand voice needs to see that translation or transcreation. And someone on the inside who is intimately familiar with the corporate culture and the brand voice and the brand platform needs to review that translation and feel confident that it's in the brand voice. And if it's not, then it becomes, okay, let's get less Let's talk to the translator, let's explain so that all over time, if you do that enough times, the translator then becomes a brand voice expert so that over time you're reviewing things and it's just, it's right on point. It's it, it just, that that's a process that is a reasonable process. That is a natural part of the process that I think a lot of people don't consider, especially if you're not in, if you're not necessarily a creative, you know, there's copy and then there's copy. So depending on the, the, the trend, the marketing, whether it's marketing content or um, other kinds of content, of course, there's a degree to which you want to really lean in hard. But the brand voice is what needs to be protected. And you need to ensure that the nuances of your brand voice are being communicated globally in the way that you intend. And so I say again, it's just not enough to hire an outside vendor and then think you're done you have to be on the client side fully engaged in the final product. And that takes a strong partnership and uh, a commitment to that partnership. I couldn't agree more. And I think what we tend to find on our side is, you know, we have our in-house linguists. We have quite a unique model in the industry, but that really helps us when we're talking about these such topics because our team can go through that learning curve and, and work with our customers who are engaged and they essentially become an extension of our client's team over time. And it will take a little bit of time to get that right. Obviously, you know your brand better than we do right at the start. But over time, we, we learn more about your nuances and your style. 
and how you want to see things. And like you said, going back again to what we were talking about earlier, that partnership is is the key to unlocking that. Agreed. It absolutely is. And as you were just talking, I was thinking, again, this is this was not my day job. I had to learn all this. But my day job, I'm a career copywriter. So um, it's no different than any time I am connecting with a new client and receive a project where I need to capture their brand voice. There's a process, a learning curve that I go through for every client to finally dial in and hit the bullseye on it. So I think that put me in a unique mindset to understand um, the level of collaboration, I would say, that needs to happen between your translation provider um, and your in-house team. It's just not as simple as everyone thinks it is. And I think until you've gone through that and you've experienced those challenges, you maybe don't fully quite understand what goes into that. Um, and, and, and as you said, um, I'm going to sort of ask you another question um, around content and obviously your role uh, with copy. Obviously, the world is is changing. There's so much more content now that's being created compared to even just a few years ago. So what do you think are the content challenges of the modern marketer? Oh, boy. Um, has anybody said AI yet today? Because I think that uh, is long and short answer. Obviously, AI is huge in terms of how content is being created now. And I have had experience with it in the past and, you know, where AI was generating copy and it was never quite right. It was never quite on brand. It was the voice was off. It just was not there yet. But that was a few years ago. And here we are now. And that is no longer the case. And so I think marketers need to understand it. They need to learn how to use it, when to use it, when not to use it. It's like the rules of, of grammar. You have to know the rules so you know when to break them, when you meaningfully and intentionally want to break them. It's the same, I think, with, with AI about just understanding where it fits, when it's right, and certainly when it's not. And, and that's a topic that, keeps coming up um you know we've got other podcasts around ai how we can help our customers um but i do think it's it's changed over the last few years as you said and i think we're going to see that that continues and it can be exciting it can be scary as well so i, I can totally understand like you said the reluctance in some cases to use it i think you know we see the same with machine translation some people really, really want to, you know, go forward and use that and obviously use humans where they can to, to actually support. Um, and other people are so reluctant to use it, even when the content type might be suitable, might lend itself better. But I think we'll see attitudes probably start to shift uh, even more so uh, from now. Um, so I'm glad you, you brought that one up. So what role do you think language plays in successfully creating and representing a brand, Renee? I know you mentioned earlier, you know, we talked about when you're being given a brief and you have to then come up with that copy. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the role of language. Sure. Yeah, obviously, I think it's a critical role and it sort of breaks down into two pieces that have to come together. There's the visual language and then there's the written verbal language where design delivers that look and feel 
and does start to bring emotion, lift emotion when you interact with any good design. And then when you start to add words that impart more meaning and add more layers, the words make people think and feel and do. And certainly with translation, it's important to hit the mark on the nuance, cultural and linguistic, to ensure that the emotions you're targeting, you're trying to elicit and to get people to engage in is what is being communicated. I had pulled a quote when I had that walk around uh, marketing deck that uh, the cell deck I was using to pitch the wonders uh, that is uh, setting things up on the client side for RWS properly and effectively and efficiently. A quote I had that I used a lot was that, and it's from Anthony Burgess, who was the uh, an author and a composer best known for his Clockwork Orange. He wrote the script for Clockwork Orange. He said, translation is not a matter of words only. It is a matter of making intelligible a whole culture. And I had inserted a, a word in that to make intelligible a whole brand culture. The job of that translation is to really make the brand culture come through. So it's much bigger than just words on a page um, that are being translated into another language. It's cultural and it's emotional. So I think that's really the power in what RWS does and what RWS can do for clients is to help make their brand culture intelligible across the globe. So Renee, obviously you, you've, you've done this at Under Armour. I'm interested to know if you had to do it all over again, would you do something differently? And if you were given the opportunity to do this again, would you take it? That's a great question. I'm a um, sucker for a challenge. I love a challenge. So I think what was so rewarding for me um, in setting this up the first time was I did not know how to do it. I figured out how to do it and I did it. And that was extremely gratifying. And it was something that had a meaningful impact on the company. So would I do it again? I would do it again because I now know how to do it. But even though I know how to do it, it still would be different and a different set of challenges in any different company because every company is different. So there would be a little bit more of a well to dip into in terms of experience, but I know that it would be unique in its implementation. And one of the things that, and you just made me think of this now, actually, one of the things that was so rewarding over the long term about it. And even now, after I've now moved on to other things, is the people that I met doing it the way I, I ended up doing it, because I had to meet with people in order to explain what I was trying to do. And would you help? And, you know, can we work together? And what are your pain points? And let me help fix your stuff. And you can help me by working with me on the process. And I met a ton of people. I don't know that I would have had a reason to speak to the majority of the people that I ended up connecting with over the course of this initiative. And so for me, it, it, on the human level, it opened up doors to professional connections and, and that made my time and my work more enjoyable. So gosh, now that you've asked that question, I that was the gift that I got out of the whole project um, was all the all the incredible people that I got to meet along the way. 
Oh, that's fantastic to hear. I always feel really grateful at RWS working with people all over the world, you know, and the clients that come and work with me as well. So I can completely share that experience. Thank you so much, Renee, for, for joining me today. It's been great to hear about your experience. I really hope this episode will help anybody else out there who are looking to start their localization program or have similar challenges, might reach out to RWS and, and myself to help them fix that. So thank you for joining. I hope you've enjoyed it too. Uh, and uh, thanks to all of our listeners. Join us again for the next podcast. Thanks again for, for having me, Jordan. I really enjoyed our chat and thanks for making this uh, fun and comfortable. Thank you.